Good evening and welcome to the EFL Review with me, Adam Davis, here on Three Valleys Radio. What a long weekend of football. Three highly exciting matches across all three divisions and all three going the distance. That means there are plenty of stuff for us to jump into tonight to see who will be playing in a league above next season. As always, you can expect the same level of insight, analysis and interviews that you come to expect every single week on, of course, what is the final time that we will be playing this programme just for a little bit. I think it only seems appropriate that we start with the game that took place first on the Wembley turf, and that was on Saturday the 27th of May. That finished Coventry City 1, Luton Town 1, Luton Town winning 6-5 on penalties. Luton Town completed their journey from non-league to Premier League as they beat Coventry City 6-5 on penalties to win the Championship playoff final at Wembley. Gustavo Hamer equalised for Coventry to cancel out a first-half strike from Jordan Clark as the game finished in a one-all draw after 120 minutes. Both goals came after Luton lost captain Tom Lockyer early on after he collapsed on the pitch, but the defender was taken to hospital where the club has confirmed he is responsive and talking to his family. Anyone following social media in the last couple of days will have seen some amazing photos of uh, from Steve Lockyer, Tom Lockyer's dad, showing the amazing scenes when Luton would end up winning and the face pulled by Tom. Very pleased to hear he's doing very well because that looked really nasty. Coventry's Fankati Darbo blasted the 12th minute kick onto the shootout over the crossbar and sent the Hatters to the Premier League for the first time. Having last been in the English top flight in 1992, the year the Premier League began, Luton have waited 31 years to take their place at the top table. But they are still in the fifth tier only nine years ago, after a decade of financial hardship. Gives us hope, eh, Yeovil? And in becoming the first side to go all the way from the top tier to the non-league and back, it completed a remarkable achievement for Luton Town boss Rob Edwards, who began this season as the manager of the Hatters' fierce local rivals, Watford. Just a year on from managing Forest Green to the League 2 title, Edwards won his second successive promotion. He left Forest Green to take on the Watford job at the end of last season, but was then sacked in late September. He then returned to management in November, when Nathan Jones walked out on Luton for a second time, and Edwards was now masterminded the completion of one of football's great journeys. Away from the tightly packed, raucous atmosphere of Kenilworth Road, there was a slight concern Luton might struggle in the vast space of Wembley, but they were far more, uh, far the more dominant side before the break. Aside from the only goal they did score, they had two more disallowed and a string of other dangerous moments. Not even the early loss of defensive linchpin Tom Lockyer could halt their flow. Within eight, minutes of the, uh, within eight minutes of the Welsh international collapsing and being stretched off, the Hatters were ahead when bustling striker Elijah Adebayo caused havoc, carving out the opening for Clark to run on down to the left inside channel and smash home a stunning left-footed screamer just inside the left upright. But towards the break, and especially into the eight minutes of stoppage time because of Lockyer's situation, Coventry began to threaten. Hamar powered a volley just over the ball and came out at an awkward height before on loan signing Brooke Norton Cuffey almost weaved his way through with a mesmeric run. It was the same pattern at the start of the second half as Coventry restarted well with an extra striker on in the form of Matty Godden. And, 21 minutes after the restart, at a similar time to the Luton first-half opener, Coventry were level with a similarly constructed goal. 
Top scorer Victor Gurkarez was played into space down the left, held the ball up and turned it back into the path of Hamer, who put enough bend on his measured side-footed finish to finish at and find the bottom right-hand corner. But Godden then fired a great chance just over. Hamar was forced off just 14 minutes after scoring, and the 90 minutes, extended by another 8 minutes of time added on, ended with both sides going end-to-end in a desperate search for a winner. A fiercely struck low Gurkarez right-footed shot tested Ethan Horvath at his near post at the start of extra time. Luton then thought they had won it in the second period of extra time when substitute Joseph Taylor pounced on a mistake by Jonathan Panzo, who had only just entered the field, and ran on to fire the ball past City goalkeeper Ben Wilson. But VAR, the first time it's been used uh, this season in the Championship at least, had spotted Taylor's use of his right hand, and the goal was disallowed to a massive sky-blue roar of relief. Instead, it was on to penalties, and all went to plan with the first ten spot kicks. Carlton Morris, Sub-Taylor, Marvellous Nakamba, early scorer Clark and Luke Berry all netted superbly for Luton, cancelled out similarly by well-struck efforts from Coventry's chosen quintet of Gordon, Gurkarez, Ben Sheaf, Josh Eccles and skipper Liam Kelly. But then it went to sudden death. Luton sub Dan Potts converted before the luckless Darbo hit his effort high and wide. Both this season's league meetings between Luton and Coventry had ended in draws, so it was no surprise that they could be only not be separated over 120 minutes. Two sides with more illustrious pasts, Wembley Cup final winners respectively within a year of each other, Coventry lifting the FA Cup in 1987, and Luton prevailing in the 1988 League Cup, both trying to get back to the top flight just five years after getting promoted together from League Two. But in the end, it was the unfancied Bedfordshire side who picked up the lock of the windfall, estimated by Deloitte to be worth at least £170 million over the next three years. For starters, it could help fund the building of the new stadium that is central to Luton's plans and seen as the key to securing their future, although that is not likely to be ready for another three seasons, as they will have to first have to spend an estimated £10 million renovating their comparatively dilapidated Backstreet's Kenilworth Road home. They will still have the smallest ground capacity in the top flight next season, but it is still a far cry from when they dropped out of the Football League altogether in 2009, before taking five seasons to get back in in 2014, eventually under manager John Still. They took the next two steps under Yeovil legend Nathan Jones with back-to-back promotions in 2018 and 2019, before he moved on to Stoke. Having returned for a second spell to establish the Hatters at Championship Promotion Contenders, Jones then moved on again to Southampton. But since Edwards took over, he has presided over 18 wins and just 6 defeats from his 35 matches in charge. Defeat for Coventry for the first time in a Wembley final was particularly cruel. Their fans had a tortuous time since being relegated from the Premier League in 2001. In 2005, they were forced to leave their Highfield Road home. Then, two years later, they were saved from potential extinction by just minutes following Sisu's late takeover. In 2013, they uh, sought refuge from their ongoing rent row with their local council by moving into Northampton. They moved back to their home at the Rico Arena the following year with fellow tenants Wasps Rugby, now their new landlords. But in 2019, they had to move on again, with two seasons spent at Birmingham City St Andrews. They then found themselves bottom of the league without a pitch at the start of the season, when they had to postpone four home games, playing six of their first seven away, due to the ongoing issues that was caused by the Rugby Sevens being played there from the Commonwealth Games. 
They were then even briefly without a ground too, when they were served with a threat of an extinction, uh, an eviction sorry, by the stadium's new owners. But boss Mark Robbins and his assistant manager ADV at Vivesh, both rewarded in the past four now with four new four-year contracts, did a brilliant job turning the season to round, and the club were put even more firmly back on the rails when new owner Doug King took over in January. In the short term, failing to go up might yet cost them the services of such admired star striker Victor Gerkeres, who failed to score in the Sky Blues' final five games, and the Brazilian playmaker Gustavo Hamer. But Robbins and his team have crucially won back to the Coventry fans, and they will start next season among the championship promotion favourites. An amazing final there that didn't necessarily create as many chances. Very, very common when it's uh, obviously a final of such magnitude with so much money relying on it. But uh, even then, still plenty of drama in what was almost a fully packed out Wembley Stadium. Something like 86,000 people. Our first interview of the night then. And let's take it to Luton Town boss Rob Edwards. Rob, what a feeling that must have been. Yeah, it was incredible. Um... Now I know Locks is, is, is okay and, and, and up and, and speaking to people in the hospital and his dad's put that tweet out. I feel I can enjoy the moment a lot more. Um, honestly, I felt numb throughout, kind of throughout the penalties, to be honest. I just sort of felt numb. and um, But a lot of work and preparation's gone into that. You know, Pilks and Kev, the goalkeeper coaches and Trolls, Richie, have put a heck of a lot of work and research into the penalties and you know, can see how important that you know decisive they are. I mean, it's monumental the the difference that it can then make. Um, I have to say, um, commiserations and 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 well done to Coventry on an amazing season. What Mark has done, I've said it loads of times now. I couldn't have done it. It's incredible. The job um, he's done there, his players, his staff, and it's it was it was like that, wasn't it? It was like that. Um, it, it could easily have been their day. It was so tight. You've not been able to separate us two league games this season and then all the way to the very end of the playoff final. Uh, it was really harsh, especially with the journeys that both clubs have had that one club had to lose today. I, I'm obviously because, you know, Luton manager, I'm obviously delighted that it's us, but I do feel for them today. We dominated the first half. Was that the game plan? <laughs> yeah, the, play, the game plan was then to dominate the second half as well. Uh, which we didn't do, but um, after losing locks so early on, I thought the character, the resilience, the 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 bravery shown by the players was brilliant in that first half, and I, I do think yeah we could have been two or three up. They're inevitably going to have a period in the game, and they made a change with Godden coming on at half time, and it gave them a fresh impetus and and got a rhythm in the game. They had a lot more rotation in their midfield three that we struggled with initially, and um, and it you know they got the equaliser. And then the game was pretty tight, you know. I do think we wrestled back momentum towards the back end of the second half. I thought the last eight minutes or whatever it was have added on time it was like basketball. That concerned me. Um, but um, you know, I thought we limited them to sort of long range shots and things like that. Uh, there, there wasn't loads of chances by then. It was just a war of attrition, especially once extra times happen. You got people going down left, right, and centre. They put so much into it. The nervous tension the whole day. You know, we uh, we had to make sure we used everybody, and um, as I say, the preparation then into the penalties, not just the taking of them, where we stand, where the staff stand, where everyone goes, um, the, the the breathing, the you know, 
that focus. There's a lot of work that's gone into it and, and thankfully it paid off. You touched on a bit there about how players were going down injured during as the game carried on, basically. Um, for you and your team, what was that like to manage in such a tough situation? I, I like to feel that, well, I like to say to you that it felt like a normal game. I mean, obviously we're in a, a much bigger stadium than normal, but it felt normal. It felt like, right, okay, we, we've got to make a decision here. Let's try and make the right one. And, and we've got a brilliant group of staff who were very... Um, Methodical in their thinking, really organised and helped me, especially when it's coming to the, you know, it comes to those big, big decisions, making subs. We had to look after people. People ran themselves into the ground. Eli, Gabe, uh, Alfie, they ran themselves into the ground, and uh, and that's what you want. That was the message before we went out. It was leave it all out there today, lads. You know, uh, today's the day. You just leave it absolutely all out there, and they all did that. How does it feel to be managing a group of Premier League players now? It feels incredible. It hasn't sunk in yet. Um, I, I'm not going to call myself, you know, I'm not a Premier League manager because I think what hopefully I've shown with, with the staff and, and the players that we can do a very good job in the Championship. Now we've got to go and try and prove it in the Premier League. So, you know, that's our challenge now. How much are you looking forward to that? Oh, yeah. It, it, again, it feels quite surreal right now. It's, we've dreamt about it and I've talked about that openly we've spoken about it with the lads for months this is, you're going to do it you're going to do it you're going to do it but now to say that we are is pretty special and um, to go up against the best managers the best players the best teams is you know, it's what you want to do in life it's, you know, we're all ambitious and we want to try and be at the top and, um, to say we're going to get you know, 19 Premier League games at Kenilworth Road is pretty special isn't it and how special is that for the fans as well who've come out in the numbers today Amazing and, and, you know, so happy that we can send them home happy. Um, you know, we made them sweat, especially when they're in the sun as well, all our lot in the, in, in the sun today. But um, in the end, if you're going to win it, to win it on penalties in the playoff final is probably the best way to do it. So I think we've given them a good journey. When I first started my business, I was hopeless at paperwork. My system involved bunging everything in a shoebox and sorting it out later, much later. Thank goodness for Chalmers Accountants. They soon put me on the right track. They work with businesses of all sizes, and they really know their stuff. Chalmers will provide you with a one-to-one service with your own personal account manager at one of their three local branches. For expert advice on how to make your business more successful, visit chalmersaccountants.co.uk and book your free initial consultation. At AJ Wakeley & Sons Family Funeral Directors, we know the importance of compassion and integrity. We also know how unfamiliar decisions can be so difficult at a time of family bereavement. We can provide a steadying influence just when you need it, guiding and helping you make the right decisions to reflect the kind of funeral that your loved one deserves. Visit our website, www.ajwakely.com, for more information or call Clive Wakely on 01935 479913. Best of luck there to Luton Town next season. A thoroughly deserved, I think, eventual promotion, given how well they've played over the last two years and really stuff of. Yeah, they've called it a fairy tale a lot this season from a lot of various pundits. But uh, who wouldn't wish to have that level of success that Luton have had after such difficulty? Right, let's move on to the game that took place on Sunday. And that was the League 2 playoff final. And again, that finished Carlisle United 1, Stockport County 1. 
Carlisle United winning 5-4 on penalties. Thomas Holy's heroics in the penalty shootout were enough to take Carlisle United up to the League 1 with victory over Stockport in the League 2 playoff final. Holy saved Ryan Rydell's effort as the Cumbrians won 5-4 on spot kicks after the two sides played out a one-all draw. John Mellish's first half own goal put Stockport in front, but that was cancelled out late on by former Glover Amari Patrick. After a goalless period of extra time, Connor Evans smashed home the first penalty for Stockport and Christian Dennis followed suit in reply. Holy dived to his right to beat away Rydell's shot and Mellish stroked Carlisle ahead in the shootout. Another former Glover, this one for Stockport, Miles Hippolyte, rolled the Hatter's third spot kick down the middle, but Ryan Edmondson was equally cool to send Ben Hinchcliffe the wrong way. Jack Stretton put Stockport's hopes alive in a confident penalty, only for Owen Moxon to smash one into the corner for Carlisle. Will Collar's penalty finish proved an academic, as Taylor Charters scored to win it and take Carlisle up to League One. The Hatters went ahead when Isaac Alofi's cross looped up beyond Holy's despairing fingertips off the unfortunate John Mellish. Defender Akil Wright provided a huge block to deny Carlisle's Joel Senior after he pinched the ball and sprinted clear, and then missed a golden chance to head in a crucial second. It proved a costly miss, as the introduction of Amari Patrick saw him roll a poor clearance past Hinchcliffe for the equaliser. Senior made a key block in added time to take the game to extra time as Hippolyte sought a winner. The extra time period was tight, though Mellish's deflection this time proved timely as it steered Antezi Sarsovic's shot over the top. Holy tipped over a searing Stretton drive to keep Carlisle level, while his opposite number Ben Hinchcliffe made an instinctive save to beat away Dennis's angled header. It went on to spot kicks and the Cumbrians held their nerve to settle it. Carlisle boss Paul Simpson had visited Wembley five times before this game and lost on every occasion, while the club had never won promotion via the playoffs. Both of these sequences were ended with this success, as Carlisle buried their previous disappointments with this comeback win. The Cumbrians showed character to come back from an unfortunate own goal from Mellish, with Simpson's substitutes Dennis and goalscorer Patrick in particular making an impact. Hometown hero Simpson returning to Carlisle last season has been a spectacular success, inheriting a side second from bottom in the table and winning promotion in 18 months. His signings such as captain and former Yeovil Town favourite Paul Huntingdon and goalkeeper Thomas Holy have been key figures, as has his assists master Owen Moxon. He has also got the best out of existing talent such as Jack Armour and Senior as they head on to League One. An amazing uh, real performance for Carlisle there, receiving the first promotion or the first, yeah, the first promotion Carlisle have received since 2006. Who was the manager then? That's right, Paul Simpson then as well. Having won promotions with Colwyn Bay, AFC Fylde, Hartlepool United and Stockport in his managerial career, you could have given Dave Challoner every chance of adding to his record in this final. His side hit the ground running, stretching the game through former Carlisle striker Paddy Madden, of course former Glover as well, and got their reward when Alofi's cross was deflected in. Despite conceding, they remained competitive and had chances to win it before eventually succumbing after a shootout. It was a disappointing end to an otherwise impressive season for Challoner and Stockport in their first season back at League 2 level after winning the National League last year. 
Coming within one match of the third tier feels like a huge step forward for the club that finished 14th in the National League North as recently as the 2013-14 season. A double interview for you now. First, we will hear from disappointed Stockport manager Dave Challoner, and then a nice uh, essence of Yeovil in there with Carlisle United winning captain Paul Huntington. Well, Dave, obviously a feeling of disappointment at the end, but you must be so proud of the effort the players have put in today. Yeah, of course I am. I said that before the game. I was always going to be proud of, of what we've done, um, but we need to use that that feeling as motivation to, to get better. Um, and I've said that exactly that to the to the players. Um, of course it, of course it hurts. Um, but like I say, if it makes us better, these experiences are good experiences. It's not easy to tell them that now, but they are good experiences. Um, and like I say, we've got to use that to make sure that's the case. Chances, of course, to win it as well today. Yeah, it's it's tough because you, you're caught up in the emotion of the game, and it, it's different. It's unique. I have no idea what uh, what the game looked like. Um, I felt we had control at times. We probably had a, a mad 10-minute spell where the game became a little bit basketball-y. Um, but, listen, it's all ifs and buts and maybes. And maybe we've, we've, we've lost on, on penalties, which is, is heartbreaking. Um, but, like I say, we have, to, we have to move on and we'll be, we'll be better for it. It's very hard, isn't it, at, at this stage to, to reflect on the season that you've had. But you must look back on it with, with pride and think, well, goodness me, we were, we were right up there till the last day of the season. Yeah, we, listen. We want to be here again. I've said before. This this club will get will get to League One, and it's, we're disappointed because we give ourselves a chance today, and we've not taken it. Um, football moves on quickly, so regardless in victory or defeat today, tomorrow's a different day, um, and that group won't play another game together. A large portion of that group will be together next year, and um, we're back in pre-season training three and a half weeks' time. So um, things move on move on quickly. We've got a lot of, of work to do in terms of rest, recovery. Make sure we hit the ground running come, or come August. Dave, it's not my job to find excuses for you. Know, you. I know you don't want any, but injuries have killed you at the end of this season. I mean, particularly when you look at Carl Wotton, you look at Anthony Sarsavic, you look at Will Collar, it certainly hasn't helped. Listen, it's not helped, but I'm not, that's, that's certainly no excuse in terms of players are, or teams have injuries all the way, uh, all the way through, the, through the season. Ours came at a vital time for us. Um, Woods is obviously a big miss, and for him not to be able to play a part is obviously devastated within that. Uh, listen, I, I thought without being, and I, I'm probably I'm a bit biased, I thought Sars was the best player on the pitch. Um, and for him to get as long out of the game as he did was 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 massive. Um, this, this, this player, Will obviously wasn't wasn't fit, um, and has been a miss for us because they've been, I suppose, the, the corner post of what we've what we've done and the success we've had. Um, we've got to make sure we get them back fit for the start of the season, and like I say, um, have a positive start, a more positive start than we did this year. Just watching those scenes at the end, I've forced myself to watch them as well. You've got to kind of draw on that, haven't you, and try and use that as, as motivation next time round. Uh, yeah, listen, it, it's, it's not nice uh, watching another team celebrating it. Listen, some players will do it, some players won't do it. I don't think I don't think you particularly have to do it. The feeling there is enough. And what, what, what I've said to them there is you, you've got to make sure that that hollow feeling drives you and motivates you to make you make you better. Um, and if we do that, as I say, this is a can be a, a positive experience. It doesn't feel like it at the moment. We have to use it as that one. And I know pre-season is, is quickly around the corner, it's not too far away, but do you get a break yourself now? Um, yeah, I, I, I hope so. Um, I would certainly 
like to have a break in better circumstances. Um, we listen. We're in a we're in a good place in terms of our organisation. We know exactly what we're what we're doing. We wished it was a, with a League One campaign in front of us. It's not. Um, so we'll recharge the batteries very quickly um, and look forward to all the good things happening pre-season in terms of in terms of the games, in terms of fixture release, and all them all them different things. So, like I say, plenty to plenty to look forward to um, in difficult circumstances today. And of course, I know um, the fans. I've travelled down with them today. Absolutely unbelievable! And you went straight to them at the final whistle today. I thought that was a, a really nice moment, and they applauded you today. Yeah, listen, it's the, it's the worst bit for them. I, I've been I've been here before, not just in terms of this place, in terms of losing playoff finals. That, like I say, the jeopardy is huge, um, and no one feels it more than more than them. Um, it's like I say, it's, it's a long, it's a long trip down. It's a long trip back. Unfortunately, they go home disappointed, but hopefully, like I say, hopefully proud that they do have a team out there that they can resonate with and they can look at and, and know that, that them players and, and us as staff are doing everything we can to try and make this football club successful. It will be successful because of the people that are, are running it, um, and well, like I say, we want we want to play our part. In that. I'm lucky today, Dave. Thanks for your time, though. Cheers. Thank you. Unto how you feeling right now? What a feeling. Um, best place to win. Um, managed to do it here a couple of times now, but I'm just trying to soak it in. Like I'm a lot older than I came with Preston the last time. I was 28, now I'm 35. That's why I came back. Uh, I thank the manager for for bringing me back and just delighted. Just sending all the supporters who backed us all season. To be honest, we probably weren't that fancied. I, I even saw the odds in the lead up to the game. People were saying they were favourites. That, that's fine with us. I've got to say, tight game. Um, thought they were a good side. I'm sure they'll go again next season. But um, yeah, we're in League One and we'll enjoy this moment next few days. And uh, and yeah, we've got to we've got to be better again next year. Obviously, at the minute we're just enjoying this and soaking it in. Talk about character and all the other words that we can use. When you go into a penalty shootout, when everybody's absolutely cream crackered, you've got to show more than that, and we did it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the heat, the the kilometres put in, the um, the amount of cramp. Like I, I got it in three places, um, but just that mentality to carry on. I, I wasn't coming off and got stretched off and, and went again. Hamstring, calves, and groin. I got it in, so it was like, oh my god. Um, I felt over the piece though, I, I felt as though we had the better chances, we went through twice in the first half, didn't make it count, um, Deno had the header off the line which I thought was over the line, the referee said no, um, and then the penalties were different pass, we've pa practised them for like the last two weeks and to be fair they've been brilliant, Tommy's the hero, just de delighted for him, uh, delighted for the lads, um, what an occasion, what a place to do it. It's a great way to win a game, isn't it? Penalties are horrible, but it's a wonderful way to win. No, I, I went, to be fair, like I, I did the same to Bradford after the game, went and shook their lads', lads hands. I know how it feels. I've been here and lost as a young player, a uh, 19-year-old, and, um, and I went across to their lads, um, you know, because it's fine margins, isn't it? And our big players stepped up, just delighted. Uh, this winning dressing room, as you've called it, it's on this side of the building. Yeah, um, I was when I found out we were that end of the stadium. I must have texted all my Preston friends, all my my family, my friends, and and I've been across there and lost once, and been this side of them twice. So but it means a lot. It means a lot being from the city, the buzz that we've created as a group and the manager this season. Um, this is what it's about. You and Fiends lifted the trophy together. That was important to you, wasn't it? Hunty, Hunty. 
Fair, fair. Yeah, to be fair, I said to him, if you want to do it, like he's club captain, like he said, no, we'll do it together, which was nice. Um, I think with Preston, I was right at the very end, the first up, but um, yeah, special feeling and the music. I think Coldplay was playing, and it set me off. I saw my daughter, and I'll be in, uh, I'll be emotional. Right, me and Deno both said before the game we'll be in tears, but um, hopefully the cameras didn't catch that. It's League One football for this club. Yeah, it's been a while for me, uh, 2015. So. Um, I think this is where we should be. I think um, obviously we've got to tie down our better players in the summer and add to it, but um, just at the moment enjoying this, and, and then I'm sure we'll go again because we've got the right guy in charge, who is, I think, a brilliant guy, not just a, a top manager, top coach. Um, loved here, and that helps us on the pitch. Um, you want to run through the brick walls for him. I think that was my 45th game uh, to this season, and um, just what a feeling. Um, just delighted that our big players have turned up on the big occasion because the amount of mates that have texted me it's a massive game my best mate this morning massive game massive game just hope we turn up and obviously the nerves are there even for myself but we've delivered on the occasion and these lads deserve it what a group I need to let you go and celebrate one more question what's it like to captain this team as a Cumbrian lad as a Carlisle fan and get them over the line oh, I can't even put it into words um, we took pictures on the, around with the Cumbrians up and we got there with the club photographer. We got, uh, yeah, we got a Cumbrians picture with the fans in the background. The amount of people that I knew in the stands, I was just trying to soak it in because in previous times, like when I, with Preston, I, I'm, uh, I can hear some of the lads. I think they're a bit merry already. don't know how you get that drunk that quick. But, uh, yeah, um, just the amount of faces and seeing their faces in the crowd, like, I mean, send them home like that. I hope that some of them are celebrating us with, with us tonight because it's going to be some party. Hans, on behalf of every Carlisle fan, thank you for a great season. Hot man. What a performance for Carlisle there. Right, one game left to go, and this one took place on Bank Holiday Monday. That, of course, was the League One playoff final of the South Yorkshire Derby, which finished Barnsley nil, Sheffield Wednesday 1. Josh Windass scored the winning goal in the League One playoff final with the last action of extra time as Sheffield Wednesday beat 10-man Barnsley in the most dramatic of circumstances. With the third EFL playoff final in as many dames seemingly destined for penalties, Windass headed beyond Harry Eisted's despairing dive to send the Owls up to the championship at the expense, of course, of their South Yorkshire rivals. It was cruel on the Tykes, who had been a man down since the 49th minute when Adam Phillips was shown a straight red card for a poor challenge on Lee Gregory. In an action-packed period of extra time, Eisted saved brilliantly from Michael Smith and Barry Bannon and Luke O'Connell, Mr Sitter for the Reds, before Wednesday came up with the latest of late winners. It was perhaps fitting for Wednesday to win promotion in such remarkable fashion, given their run to this Wembley showdown. Darren Moore's men looked on course for automatic promotion, of course, with a club record 23-game unbeaten run throughout most of the league season. However, that ended when the Tykes beat them 4-2 in March, and they eventually finished third behind Plymouth and Ipswich with 96 points, the famously the highest number of points ever accumulated to not be enough to go up automatically. They then fell to a thumping 4-0 defeat in the first leg of their playoff semi-final with Peterborough to leave their promotion hopes in tatters, as fans booed them from the pitch. Backed by a raucous Hillsborough, they stunned Posh to equalise the tie on aggregate with a final kick of the 90 minutes in the second leg before winning on penalties. It was the first time a team had ever overcome more than a 2-0 deficit in the playoff semi-final. 
For long periods of Monday's League One final, it seemed like this would be as good as it got for the Owls. But in the last seconds of the game, Windass dived ahead Gregory's cross in powerfully and sent 44,000 Wednesdayites into pandemonium while breaking Barnsley hearts. There was little sign of drama to come after the first half, which had been started brightly but quickly faded. The game came to life after the break, though. Firstly, Gregory seemed to be fortunate to get away with the challenge on Liam Kitching in his own penalty area, with VAR checking it but deciding to stick with the referee Tim Robinson's decision not to award a penalty. Moments later, Gregory and Phillips went in for a sly tackle 40 yards from Wednesday's goal and after taking a moment, Robinson produced his straight red card for Adam Phillips. Again, the decision went to VAR and then they stuck with Robinson's call once more. Despite being a man down, Michael Duff's men used the setback to push on. Kitching deflected a Nicky Caden volley onto the crossbar with his head and Cameron Dawson was forced into smart saves by Caden and James Norwood. Barnsley's backline stood up comfortably to Wednesday's long balls. After such a long season and on a hot day at the National Stadium, the two teams would have been excused for dropping off in extra time, but the additional 30 minutes provided unbelievable drama. Luton Loney Eisted, who made a good save in the first half from Dominic Iorfa, pulled off a miraculous stop from Michael Smith from close range and then got down brilliantly to turn Barron's effort around the post. Kitching then charged forward from centre-back and played Luke Thomas in before he squared to Luke O'Connell at the back post, just six yards out, and with the goal gaping, his skewed shot hit wide to the disbelief of all those of the Barnsley persuasion. Wednesday substitute Will Vokes then thought he had given the Owls the lead after half-time in extra time, but the celebrations were curtailed by the offside flag. Tyke skipper Matt Anderson produced a great block from Windass from close range that looked to be the final, final meaningful act. However, Windass, like his father Dean, who scored the winning goal for Hull in the championship playoff back in 2008, would have the final say. Though it will feel like it, not feel like it now, sorry, Barnsley boss Michael Duff has enjoyed a first superb campaign with the club. The former Burnley defender left Cheltenham, of course, to take over at Oakwell after they were relegated from the Championship in the 21-22 season, following a dreadful campaign. A young but highly organised side led through the season and in a final with distinction by Danish centre-back Mads Anderson, challenged at the top end of the table all year and put together a run of nine successive wins through to April which briefly saw them threaten the top two. Duff was unhappy with the decision not to award his side a penalty for Gregory's clumsy challenge with Kitching. He thought the players gave everything they could today and he's not seen the incidents back but we've had enough messages from everyone I spoke to, mainly the pundits of Sky Sports, namely Jody McEnough and Clinton Morrison, who told him it should have been a penalty and it shouldn't have been a red card. I thought it was a booking for Adam Phillips. He mistimed it, but I don't think there was any malice in it. It's extremely disappointing. Probably something that uh, I'm going back and watched it. I agree. I watched the final and most of it was really, really boring. First look at it, I thought it was a red card as well. He's definitely out of control. But what he definitely doesn't have is uh, both feet off um, sort of heading towards Lee Gregory in the challenge. Uh, I think if he'd caught him, it's a straight red. But he didn't actually catch him that much. Certainly not with the studs either. Anyway, Duff said he was unlikely to wash Windass's winning goal back as well. There's no guarantee we would have won the penalty shootout, but it would have been a fairer way to go out, he added. It's the last kick of the game, I've not seen it back, and I don't think I ever will. It's pointless. I'm gutted for him, I'm 45, I've seen quite a lot and lost quite a lot, and that is the cruelest way I have ever been beaten. But that's from Michael Duff. Let's listen to Sheffield Wednesday boss Darren Moore. 
No, um, obviously emotionally very, very happy, really, really pleased. First and foremost, can we, can I just take um, the moment to, to thank Barnsley for an epic um, playoff final. They were excellent today. I didn't think there was much given between both teams. Um, and we shaded it with, 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 with a moment of um, sort of composure and brilliance right at the end of the game when you could imagine that the emotions would have been running high. Um, and we got the all-important touch on, the, on, on it. And um, Josh Windass will get all the accolades, but it's been a joint effort by everybody today. To do it in such a dramatic fashion as well, it sort of carries on from that Peterborough game, doesn't it? It's, and to give the fans that moment to celebrate in such dramatic fashion as well. And what a moment um, for them to celebrate and what a moment standing from the technical area to see at that end, to see all the Wednesdayites go absolutely crazy because um, it meant so much and you could feel it in the, in the energy in the stadium, how it meant to, to everybody. I'm just really pleased for, for all connected at the football club that um, they often say that the playoffs is the best way of getting promotion and, and how right it, rightly so they were. And the players have, have, have shown that commitment, that endeavour, that spirit, that togetherness over the course of the season. Um, and that, that was embodied today and, and that's what was needed today. A show of resilience as well. Obviously, Will Volts gets that goal disallowed. It might have been easy to, for heads to drop and, and they didn't. They came back and kept going. And what, what, what a goal it was, really. It seemed the, the perfect goal, really. I mean, a great strike by Will. And, you know, Joe, I'm, I'm like looking at the, the, the... We're celebrating and I can just see the linesman's flags up and I'm trying to get my players back into position to focus. But not only that, my staff, what's, what's supposed to be getting them back on the pitch, they're on the pitch celebrating as well, really. So... It was, it was an emotional charge game, um, a game that you can understand. Um, it ebbed and flowed. There was not much given between both teams. Obviously, the sending off uh, turned the pendulum in Sheffield Wednesday's favour, but we still had to go and win, try and find and win the game. We had to be, they were dangerous on the counter-attacks, which you can understand, but I thought they defended heroically. There was their blocks and tackles and the saves that the keeper pulled off today was absolutely um, tremendous from them and that's why i got to give Barnsley credit, Michael Duff and his team credit, but we knew today that if we was going to win it, we had to play and show commitment and drive. On a personal note though, just, just how pleased are you to have, to have led this club back into the Championship? It means everything to me to do it at uh, Sheffield Wednesday because, you know, living in Sheffield, I understand it's a passionate uh, football club, the fan base, it means so much to the supporters. So to help um, and be managed at the time to lead them back in the championship. It's a special moment for me, but it's a moment that I share with all the, all the uh, Sheffield Wednesday fans, all my staff at the club and, and certainly the players, that it's been a, um, a joint effort. And um, I knew the size and magnitude of the football club, but to see the support in the, in, in the playoff games and here at Wembley today was, it was something that I was looking forward to and I've savoured every single moment of it. And that moment, uh, Joel would live long in memory. A huge congratulations to uh, Sheffield Wednesday there. Of course, that now completes our uh, our leagues for next season. Coming down from the Premier League, we now know that we will see the return of Leicester City uh, and Leeds United, who haven't been... Uh, Leeds United have been out of the league for about three years. But two somewhat Premier League stalwarts will be joining them in the Championship next year, namely in Leicester City and Southampton. 
in League One. We will see uh, uh, plenty of changes there, but unfortunately Barnsley will be joining them. League Two, equally exciting. And of course, uh, we will have two exciting new additions in League Two, namely through the form of Notts County and Wrexham. I'm really looking forward to covering both of those teams now in the EFL review. But before we go, because we've still got a little bit of time left, I thought it'd be interesting to actually dwell on what the predictions were given going into this season. What we may not realise is actually we've had a full season of the EFL review now. I certainly hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly have. But um, we made some predictions right at the very beginning to see who would do particularly well and who would do particularly poorly. Now, lots of these uh, predictions are made across all forms of, uh, of the media. Uh, some of them are very, very wrong and some of them are actually not too bad. Now, I haven't looked at these since we did a mid-year review around about Christmas time. And I've got honestly no idea how well I did on some of them. Some of them I know that I've done actually really quite well, if I do say so myself. I get to keep my job. But we will have a quick look through those just over the next 10-15 oh, minutes, just as a little bit of fun, as a nice way to wrap up what has been an amazing EFL season, and I hope an enjoyable one to listen to throughout the last 46 games. So we will start with the Championship, and here is what I wrote at the beginning. So let's start with a big one, the Skybet Championship. Famously difficult to predict and my personal favourite league to watch as a result. Whilst perennial yo-yo club Fulham saw a return to the Premier League last season with second division big spenders Bournemouth joining after two years away from the big time, it was the remarkable run of Nottingham Forest that got everyone talking with the club bottom of the league when Steve Cooper took over to forging a relentless run of form resulting in a comprehensive win over Huddersfield Town in the playoff final in May. This year sees the return of Norwich City after their traditional 12-month holiday to the Premier League alongside Watford and Burnley. Watford and Norwich have been in this position before recently, but a new-look Burnley side who haven't competed in the Championship since 2015 could take a while to settle into their new surroundings with inexperienced manager Vincent Company. Anyone who watched MK Dons last season will have seen the talent of Scott Twine on full display and I'm personally very excited to see how he does in a new league for the Clarets. So already we've actually got a load to unpack there. We were absolutely right in saying that Watford and Norwich have been in this position. But my word, they've been in a disappointment this season. Watford in 11th, Norwich 13th. Plenty of discussion about the off-field issues for both teams here at Watford in true Watford style. A lot has already been made about the fact they started their new season with a certain Rob Edwards. I wonder where he ended up. Norwich have gone through a load of changes as well, obviously sacking Dean Smith, uh, Dean Smith falling upwards and ending up with the Leicester City job. And uh, David Wagner really things have not improved, so much so they didn't pick up a win in their last five. Burnley, however, I've sort of weirdly got this right and wrong, shall we say. Um, Vincent Company most certainly was inexperienced and it did take a little bit of time to settle into the new surroundings. What I don't think I have adequately, uh, and I will hold my hands up for this one, is I did think it was going to take slightly more than five games or whatever it was. Those first five games, Burnley looked really rocky, but my word, didn't they go on a run after that? 29 wins from 46 games, resulting in 101 points, is simply remarkable. If you look at uh, the next lowest amount of losses in the season, uh, which was uh, uh, oh sorry, which was Luton with eight losses, Burnley's three losses really puts to testament quite how good this Burnley side were. From League One, we saw the return of Sunderland, Wigan Athletic and Rotherham. Sunderland and Wigan appear to have put the difficulties of the last few seasons behind them, whilst the ever-consistent ever Rotherham will see if they can escape the drop, the first time they've done that in the Championship since 2016. 
Well, we were sort of right with that one as well. Sunderland most certainly have put their difficulties the last few seasons behind them. Wigan, as we've now discovered through resulting in many, many late payments at several points deductions, that hasn't been the case. Wigan now finishing rock bottom due to multiple points deductions and overall real disappointment. They actually have ended up with six points deducted from their final score and will go into the new season in link one with a minus eight total. Rotherham did do what they haven't done in a while, and they've been able to maintain their championship status, finishing in 19th. Sunderland went on an amazing run, of course, with 69 points from 46 games, getting them into the playoffs on the final day, falling at the hands, which was no disservice to the wonderful Luton Town, and... Uh, I think there will be a really excitement and plenty to go on for next year. Sunderland will have to get their recruitment just as good as they did last time. They won't have Ahmed Diallo back, but they've still got plenty of other exciting players that will be uh, on the younger side that really could drive them forward. They've still got the likes of Jack Clark uh, and, uh, and and some more experience from the likes of Luke O'Neill and Alex Pritchard. It'll be a, I still see Sunderland doing quite well next year. Maybe not necessarily playoffs once again. It will all depend on what they do in the summer window. So if you can cast your minds back far enough, we had going into the uh, sort of the more formal predictions, we had three sections. We had the two good for this league, which I deemed as standout performers, notably strong players who look in a good place for promotion. The other one I then had was going to be the going to fight but struggle, which was a team that had good things going for them, but ultimately wouldn't have enough to stay up after 46 games. And finally, the surprise package. So what did we have for the championship? Well, the two good for this league, I had the prediction of Sheffield United. After a rocky start under Slavisi Ukanovic, the Blades turned their form around under ex-Leeds and Hibernian boss Paul Heckingbottom. His previous role was the under-23s manager at Sheffield United, and this has been a strong trust in the excellent academy structure at the club, and I think we will see cons consistent starts from the likes of Daniel Jebison and Kyron Gordon. The signings of Anil Ekmo-Hodzic from Malmo and Kieran Clark from Newcastle look excellent signings to the back line that struggled with injury last season. Tommy Doyle from Manchester City could also be really exciting from central midfield alongside Sander Berg, a player I believe to be a real coup signing when they were in the Premier League, let alone in the Championship. As a result, I think Sheffield United may secure promotion back to the Premier League alongside Norwich City. Yes, I know it's a boring pick for the Canaries' consistency of building a title-challenging Championship side, is unparalleled. Well, 50% right, should we say. So amazing to say that Sheffield United did, of course, regain automatic promotion with 91 points from 46 games. I did say that Paul Heckingbottom would do quite well and put trust in some of the academy. I got some of that right. He has given a load of start to the likes of Daniel Jebison and plenty of youth that he signed in on loan. A couple of debuts for the likes of Karen Gordon and Ollie Arblaster, but not necessarily the same level of consistency. That was mainly because at the back, Sheffield United were particularly good, and that was at the help of Anil Ahmed Hodzvich. What he didn't have next to him most of the time, he did have the likes of John Egan, as opposed to Kieran Clark. Kieran Clark didn't get that many appearances on loan from Newcastle, so I'd say we got most of that right. Tommy Doyle was excellent for Manchester City. I probably should have included James McAtee in that point as well. I can't remember whether he'd actually signed by the time we'd done these predictions, but him and Tommy Doyle, both on loan from Man City, were instrumental in Sheffield United's success. Sanderberg continued to be excellent, and I still stand by the fact he is a coup signing for anyone who picks him up. We've already gone over the fact that I've got the Norwich part wrong, so we're going to move on. On to the going to the fight but struggle. Here's what we said. We've already mentioned them, but I think we will see another relegation 
for Rotherham United. Paul Warren and his men are hard workers, but ultimately they will be let down by one key factor money. In the last five years, only two clubs have competed in the Championship with a wage budget less than 70% of their revenue. These are Rotherham and Barnsley, who saw their relegation quite convincingly last season. The uncontrolled spending of the Championship... Oh, I've lost my line. <laughs> the uncontrolled spending of the Championship makes a team like Rotherham very difficult to maintain in England's second tier. Whilst it is possible to have big spenders signing poorly and face a relegation battle, Rotherham already appear on the back foot. I believe clubs that might also struggle will be Bristol City, Reading, who are both subject to potential FFP sanctions, Reading's loss of John Swift could also be monumental. As those, I don't think it looks good for Wigan Athletic, who in my opinion signed some top quality League One players last season, and it's interesting to see whether the likes of Jack Watmouth and Tom Naylor can make the step up this season. Again, I'd say largely 50% right. Rotherham United, of course, didn't get relegated, but they were only six points above, and there was a very real concern for a large part of it. Something we didn't necessarily predict was the fact that Paul Warren was going to leave, as he, of course, had most of the campaign started with Derby. If we forget that, actually, he didn't start the campaign as Derby manager. That, of course, was Liam Rossinia. So, uh, overall, not too bad. They did survive and... It will be interesting to see how they push on. Having a good run of um, only two losses in the last five really did enough just to get them over the line for the Millers. Those that we also thought were going to struggle, Bristol City continue to be ever Bristol City and just be unbelievably mid-table. 15 wins, 14 draws and 17 losses put them in 14th, exactly where most of the time I think I should have suggested Bristol City would have ended up. Um, I think a large part of that was also potentially down to the FFP sanctions they were potentially under, which of course resulted in points deductions. Bristol City didn't get done, but Reading did, and it ultimately cost Reading. They lost six points because of their uh, uh, various FFP um, misdemeanours, which was enough to get them relegated, which uh, and would have put Cardiff in the bottom three instead. So technically was absolutely right there. Uh, the loss of John Swift was monumental, as he did an awful lot to push West Brom up into ninth. Wigan, we've already talked about, unfortunately, did not go very well for them. It doesn't look good. They signed good League One signings, wasn't enough to get them over the line, and plenty of stuff off the field that just compounded the misery. And finally, the surprise package, a club that defy expectation. At the beginning of the season, I would have suggested Luton Town and Blackburn Rovers finishing 6th and 8th respectively, but of course it's hard to look past Nottingham Forest after they found themselves at Christmas compared to the end of the season. Whilst I don't think we will see quite a significant turnaround as that this season, my surprise package is Middlesbrough. Despite just missing out on the playoffs last season, they always seem to go under the radar. I'm a big fan of Chris Wilder and the signings of Darren Lenahan and from Blackburn and Ryan Giles on loan from Wolves look good. Having Isaiah and Jones, uh, Isaiah Jones and Giles on either wing sending in crosses could be really effective if Middlesbrough used the Jed Spence money on a good striker. Well, I was going to say we actually got that one quite right. I wasn't expecting to get it quite as well as I did. Middlesbrough finishing in fourth position, of course, and uh, getting into the playoffs. Ultimately uh, losing at the hands of Coventry City uh, one goal over the space of uh, 180 minutes. So overall, not too bad there. The signings of Lenahan and Ryan Giles were absolutely fantastic for them. Not necessarily under Chris Wilder. Didn't work particularly well under uh, Chris Wilder at the time. Of course, they were deep in the relegation zone when he got um, sacked and replaced by Michael Carrick, who has done a lot of very, very good work there. Can they rebuild and uh, get a few more signings of the line to push them into the automatic promotion slots? The bookies say yes. We are yet to see who that's going to be. 
And the answer to that final point, no. I don't think they use their money on uh, on a good striker from Jed Spence because, weirdly, they already ended up having one as Chuba Akpom ended up having a fantastic season. On to League One, then. We have got... Here's the bit of preamble we gave at the beginning. Last season saw a lot of exciting stuff. Wigan signed really well post their takeover from a Bahraini consortium and went on to win the title with just eight losses. The relegated clubs could be of real interest this season. Peterborough have strong League One players in the likes of Johnson Clark Harris and Sammy Schmodix, an accomplished attacking force in England's third division. Technically, this was true. League, um, Peterborough did very well and got into the playoffs. Johnson Clark Harris ended up as joint top scorer of the league. Brilliant. Sammy Schmodix went to Blackburn, so I don't think that's technically my fault. Barnsley could be in for a very difficult season. Boardroom antics could leave the club without distinct direction after several seasons of consistent and effective recruitment. The signings of James Norwood from Ipswich could be a steady stream of goals for the Tykes, and Michael Duff impressed as manager of Cheltenham. Last season, despite having limited resources for this division, certainly one to keep an eye on. Well, we've already covered them tonight. They got to the playoff final, and James Norwood was absolutely instrumental in that final. Michael Duff has done very well. So overall, really, really good. Plenty of things that were a little bit concerning around Barnsley at the time of the ownership. When we did this, a lot of that's been sorted out. Overall, a good campaign for Barnsley, no question that. And then, of course, we have Derby County. With the fear of administration now gone, the Rams will look to rebuild at Pride Park. Liam Rossinia has been put into temporary charge and is yet to be seen whether they will take on the mantle full-time, but was regularly praised last season working alongside Wayne Rooney, who has since moved to DC United in the MLS. Many of the young scars have gone, including the likes of Lee Buchanan, Festi Obasele and Luke Plange all departing for pastors new for their development. Experienced heads such as James Collins, James Chester and former Yeovil midfielder Corey Smith have joined from Cardiff, Stoke and Swansea respectively. A season of transition should be expected but I would argue that for many fans of Derby simply having the club still in existence is enough for them. And I would say that was largely accurate. Of course, Derby missing out on the final day and the playoffs uh, finishing in seventh, a season of transition. Derby is still going and having the likes of James Collins, James Chester and Corey Smith were very important parts of them. Um, the answer of whether Liam Rossini staying is in temporary charge was the um, whether that was going to continue. The answer, of course, was no, as we had former Yeovil Ferry and already spoken about tonight, Rotherham United boss Paul Warren put in charge. Overall, a good campaign for them, um, let down by certain slip-ups around sort of around April time, uh, March and April, that ultimately did cost them. They'll be obviously pushing for the playoffs next season. So, too good for this league. Clubs such as Bolton Wanderers, Ipswich, Portsmouth all drastically underperformed compared to their budgets last season, but the club to take on to the next step should be Sheffield Wednesday. Like their cross-city rivals in the league above, Wednesday have signed well with League One stalwarts such as David Stockdale from Wickham, Will Vokes from Cardiff and both Michael Smith and Michael Ihikwe from Rotherham. Akin Femewu impressed for Charlton last season and will sit nicely in Darren Moore's backline. Retaining the services of Lee Gregory was also essential and certainly has the ability to win the Golden Boot this season. It is little surprise the bookies have Wednesday as title favourites. I would say we largely got that one right. Of course, we've already made a big song and dance about how many points Sheffield Wednesday earned, despite not going up. Uh, Plymouth's uh, amazing uh, run to 101 points and winning the league title was absolutely fantastic. Ipswich also doing very well with 98. 
as we've said, any other season, Sheffield Wednesday go up. So I would say that was really good. And that housed largely down to the signings of Will Vokes from Cardiff, Michael Smith getting obviously their top scorer from Rotherham, and Michael Ihikwe was also very important from Rotherham. Akin Famewu really suffered from injuries, and David Stockdale was really instrumental at the beginning of the season before eventually handing over the mantle to the younger Cameron Dawson. Going to fight but struggle. Many clubs have come into League One and have expected immediately return from whence they came, but have cemented themselves. Morecambe and Cheltenham did that last season. Morecambe hold one of my favourite stats ever, having never been relegated in their 102-year history. Despite this, both look favourites to go down the season. However, my going-to-fight-but-struggle pick is Forest Green Rovers. An incredibly commendable club off the pitch, they impressed on it throughout the season, but with the departure of Kane Wilson, Nicky Caden and Abu Adams, with little League One experience brought in, it looks a tough gig for the men from Gloucestershire. Two out of three ain't bad there. I believe there's a good song about that. Cheltenham did end up surviving, but only just. 54 points uh, and putting them in 16th place, only putting them uh, 10 points above Morecambe. Morecambe, unfortunately, have had plenty of problems off the field as well. A running theme that we really don't want to keep saying across the EFL, but unfortunately we really do. Um, ultimately, was just not quite enough to get them over the line. One that I did get absolutely spot on, it was the dismal performance of Forest Green Rovers. Those that really led them to uh, the League 2 title the year before, including their manager, all departed. Nicky Caden, so good that in fact he ended up at Barnsley in the playoff final uh, this weekend. Ebo Adams does done well elsewhere and Kay Wilson, earned plenty of plaudits at Bristol City this year. Finally, my surprise package is between two, Bristol Rovers and Exeter City. Two of the promoted clubs from last season, Bristol Rovers under the stewardship of famous hardman and part-time French impersonator Joey Barton, have kept hold of key players such as Aaron Collins while signing League One's favourite target man, John Marquis, as well as ball-winning midfielder Jordan Rossiter from Fleetwood. I think we could see a strong campaign from the gas. Exeter City are intriguingly yet to make a signing this summer, instead choosing to retain a lot of the core group that saw them almost win the title last season. Local lads Jack Sparks, Archie Collins, Josh Key and Captain Matt Jay led a side built on robust defending with efficient counter-attacking. My suggestion will be a few loan signings to raise the ceiling of the squad and could see a strong season for Exeter, who have returned to League One for the first time in ten years. A really interesting one there, and I think largely we can say I didn't quite get that one right. Uh, Bristol Rovers ended up with an absolutely disastrous end of the season, not picking up a win in their final five, and eventually sitting in 17th. But what you can say, and the key players that really drove them over the line, was one man in particular, an eventual League One Player of the Year, Aaron Collins. I think it wouldn't be unreasonable to say without him, Bristol Rovers probably finished far, far, far further down the table. Uh, Exeter, when we wrote this, hadn't made a single signing, and we said a few loan signings would be really important. Well, uh, number one, probably in particular, was in fact their number one. Jamal Blackman signed on low, a really, really impressive keeper for them that did loads for them uh, and really kept many, many clean, decent and important clean sheets there, and eventually saw them in a 14th place finish. Off again, changing their manager, not by choice, as uh, Matt Taylor departed for Rotherham United, and Gary Caldwell did a simply strong job once coming into the uh, Devon outfit. Where did we end up in the end then? Right, on to League 2. So, last but not least, we have League 2. This year, I expect a highly competitive season with few notably big spenders like we see in League 1 in the Championship or even in the National League. 
Promoted from the National League and breaking through the bottleneck were Stockport County and Grimsby Town. Grimsby went against the trend we have seen recently with the club making an immediate return to the Football League, beating Hollywood FC themselves, Wrexham and ever-consistent Solihull Moors in their playoff run and worthy returnees to the Football League. Stockport County took full advantage of the lack of FFP regulations to entice players from higher divisions to get them out of the non-league. Andy Cannon was signed on loan from Championship Club Hull City, as well as, and as well as Antonio Sarsevich, who was captain at the time of League One Bolton. This puts the Hatters in a strong position for the new season. And this was absolutely the case. Grimsby did fairly okay. They ended up finishing in 11th. 16 wins, 13 draws and 17 losses, leading them to 61 points. A lot of the core players that Grimsby used to get themselves out of the National League were instrumental in their uh, campaign in League Two, most notably through the likes of Harry Clifton. Uh, Stockport, again, did very well to the point where they got through to the playoff final, of course, this season, uh, but with players that had also been very important in the National League campaign, Antti Sarsovic being a strong contender in that. One person that I mentioned in that that didn't end up in that case was Andy Cannon, as not only did he fall from high divisions to join Stockport in the National League, he then did it again, as he now plays for Wrexham. Four teams were relegated from League One this season. Gillingham were unlucky to be relegated last season, finishing on the same points as Fleetwood and went down due to their inferior goal difference. A club that had been in League One for some time. It may take time to adapt, but it will be looking for an immediate return to the league. Crew had a disastrous campaign, looking lost throughout the majority of the season, conceding nearly two goals a game, whilst only scoring 37. The loss of one uh, plus point of last season, Scott Cashkit, to league, uh, league rivals Gillingham, could spell a difficult season for the railwaymen. Despite returning to their spiritual home of Plough Lane, it was not enough for AFC Wimbledon to stay up. Losing top striker Ollie Palmer to Wrexham in January proved difficult to replace, and we'll see them play in League Two for the first time since 2015-16. A blend of youth and experience has been brought in to Johnny Jackson's side, and he and Terry Skiverton will hope to get the most from on-loan striker Carl Hudlin from Huddersfield. Yes, that six-foot-nine striker who played for Hudder Solly Hull last season. Very excited to see how he fares. And finally, we have Doncaster Rovers, who looked at sea for most parts of the 21-22 campaign, and were perfectly embodied by their embarrassing loss to Mansfield in the FA Cup's second round. The night Yeovil beat Stevenage with that great Charlie Whitefield uh, finish, and the night I was prepared to give Dan Moss a knighthood then and there. How times have changed. Doncaster will look to make the Eco Power Stadium, that's the keep moat to you and I, a fortress for the upcoming season. All eyes will be on Lee Tomlin to grab the goals this season for the Reds. Right, well how do we break down these four? Gillingham we thought might do quite well ended up in 17th and really looked very naff for large parts of last season and they had to spend big in January signing the likes of Tim Dieng and Ollie Hawkins to really get them out of the bind. Crew didn't necessarily have a disastrous campaign but they didn't necessarily have a good one either. Again, could not have been any more mid-table if they tried finishing in 13th. Wimbledon were an interesting one, as of course we forget that they were in League One the year before. They ended up only surviving uh, in League Two by the scrape of their teeth, with five points clear of the drop zone. Someone they didn't really rely on was lone striker Carl Hudlin, uh, as he was actually sent back to Huddersfield Town, basically for being really naff. The Doncaster Rovers, again, not necessarily as great as they should have been. Um, they had, they sucked, uh, they, who did they say? Uh, I forget his name now, uh, Gary McSheffrey, sorry. Uh, he started the campaign with them uh, and was told, basically, 
Putting your performances sat in around 10th, we think we're in a promotion contending budget and promotion contending squad, uh, so we need to get rid of you. They hired Danny Schofield, and they've ended up in 18th. Uh, again, not really that surprising that they have in fact uh, departed with Danny Schofield and Grant McCann will be taking Doncaster Rovers into the new campaign, where they will really think that they should be pushing far beyond an 18th placed finish. So that was the four that came down. Let's go with the team that were too big and really are pushing further afield. And I gave that to Stockport. Whilst I said there were lots of clubs of similar size in League 2 this season, I think one stands out, and that's Stockport County. Having been released from the bottleneck between the National League and League 2, Stockport have a squad all ready to challenge. Everyone who lives in the Three Valleys is aware of the talents of a certain Paddy Madden, certain Paddy Madden, there we go, leading the line for them alongside other former glover Miles Hibberlite. I think a surprise player for them will be Akiel Wright, who they brought from York City this summer. I had the pleasure of watching him a lot last season and was certainly too good for the National League North with his good composure and excellence of breaking up play. Now, for large parts of last season, it really didn't look likely that uh, I was going to get this prediction right. They eventually ended up in fourth, and I would say that was a pretty good description of how well they did. Paddy Madden did lead the line for them, and uh, Miles Hippolyte was certainly helpful. I also think Akiel Wright didn't do too badly either. And the teams that I think are going to struggle. And I gave this to Barrow and Stevenage. Both clubs have been teetering on the edge of the drop for some time and don't look to be turning it around any time soon with their signings, a long bad run of form who could spell the end of their football league status. Oh dear, I think I got these quite wrong. Uh, not oh, Well, Barrow I certainly got wrong, finishing in ninth position, 62 points, and started much of the early season in the playoff picture. Ended up coming out with a fairly decent campaign and certainly nowhere near the bottom two. And my word, I could not have got Stevenage any more wrong. Rather than thinking they would finish second bottom, they finished second overall. 24 wins, 13 draws and 9 losses saw them on 85 points and eventually cruised to automatic promotion and they'll be in League One next year. Sorry Stevenage, got that one very wrong. And my surprise package, and I gave this to Swindon Town. Swindon have had their fair share of difficulty over the last few years. The removal of Lee Power as chairman, replacing him with Kurt Claremore Foyney, was seen as new stability for the club, as well as the repossession of the county ground. They're also looking to replicate the likes of Brentford and Barnsley in recent years with a data-driven recruitment system that looks to uncover gems that could lead them to promotion. Signing of young centre-backs Kieran Brennan, on loan from Sheffield Wednesday, and Kean Harris from Bristol Rovers, on a free, looks a promising defence for the Wiltshire-based outfit. I am unsure whether Swindon are quite at the standard required for promotion, but I think there'll be plenty of positives for this season. All round, not too bad. They did end up finishing 14 points adrift of the playoff picture, but they did finish in 10th. Um, the defence wasn't too bad. They conceded 55, which is about right and slightly more than it should have been to aim for a playoff picture. They were in and around it for large parts of it, but a strong top half of the table campaign for a Swindon side that had had so much problems for a couple of years. Really pleased to see how everything sort of stabilised for them. Uh, plenty of positives. I think there's probably number one in, in most notable one to go for, and that was the return of Charlie Austin, a really important signing for Swindon. So, how do we think I did with my predictions at the beginning of last season? I honestly don't think I've done too badly. Um, Stevenage aside, I think we have done pretty well across all three leagues. Uh, largely, we said 
they would be doing all right and not necessarily anything uh, too spectacular. I think Championship I got pretty much spot on. Uh, I made part from, well, apart from Norwich, we, I don't think anyone necessarily predicted Norwich to be quite as naff as they were. Uh, but Sheffield United I got right and I was overly pleased with that. League One also pretty pleased. Maybe got Bristol Rovers slightly off because I thought they may be slightly higher than 17th. Um, I really don't think Jerry Barton should be in charge. Um, and I think a lot could be done with the side if he wasn't. But that's another question for another day. Uh, League 2, I don't think we did too badly there as well, outside of Stevenage withstanding. So, that brings us to the end of the EFL review. I certainly hope you've enjoyed listening to it. A slightly different one, of course. We had our traditional format of three matches uh, reviewed. Uh, three massive matches, of course, in the form of the all-three playoff finals. And then something a little bit of fun at the end to review uh, my incredibly... I would say decent uh, reviews of the uh, of the of going into the 22-23 season. I personally can't wait for 23-24, and I certainly hope you'll be joining me alongside with this an amazing season, uh, hopefully upcoming, which you will join back on Three Valleys Radio as we will take through all the usual insight, analysis, and interviews from every match across all three divisions next season, just like we did last this year. So. If there's anything else you would like to add to the show next season, please do get in touch. We'd love to do everything we can to make this show as great as it is. I'm going to have a few weeks off whilst there's no football on, but you will see me back in about a month or two, just as we prep for the brand new season. We can start the excitement all over again. So, until then, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>